to the Heiress of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Micaela, your host. Hello, welcome to episode 49. Today I'm going to be discussing chapter 9 of Harry Potter and a Prisoner of Azkaban, Grim Defeat. So, this chapter is kind of long. I mean, my notes on it are long, so that means I have a lot to say. So this might be my first episode where I divide a chapter into like two parts. Um, That'll definitely be common as the books get longer, like probably The Goblet of Fire, Order of Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, Deathly Hallows. I'll definitely be doing like two parts for probably most episodes just so they're not so long because there is so much information going on like in these chapters there's just so much and I want to make sure I explain it and you know go through it and say my thoughts and everything but I don't want to like rush it and you know so I'd rather just divide it into like two parts for most of these chapters unless enough people tell me that they'd rather just have one long episode I mean obviously you don't have to listen to the whole thing all at once you could just divide it up but for right now I'm thinking that I might just do one or two parts for those longer episodes where I have to talk about more. The chapter itself is 21 pages, so it's not super, super long at all. But my notes, I do have, you know, a lot of notes on it. So that's why it. I'm thinking it might take longer than the one episode to kind of discuss it all. But we'll see how it goes, see how long it takes me to kind of talk through some of these points. And at the end of the episode, I'll definitely mention whether it's going to be one or two parts but i don't really have any new harry potter news to discuss for this week's episode nothing's really going on in the wizarding world right now that i need to discuss so you can email me at the heirs of slytherin podcast at gmail.com twitter is at slytherin pod facebook page is there's a slytherin podcast this podcast is available on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts breaker radio public Anchor and Pocket Casts, and you can leave donations and voice messages in the Anchor link. So a little summary of last week's episode where I discussed chapter 8, which was Flight of the Fat Lady. Pretty much everyone was absolutely loving Defense Against the Dark Arts. No one's really liking Care of Magical Creatures. Hagrid has lost his confidence after the whole Buckbeak and Malfoy incident. And Halloween is approaching, and on Halloween it's going to be the first Hogsmeade trip of the year. Harry still has not gotten any permission. His aunt and uncle didn't sign his form. And he asks McGonagall if she can, you know, sign the form and give him permission to go. And she says she can't. So Harry's all upset about that. And he is not able to go to Hogsmeade and have fun or to experience all the shops and fun things to do there for himself. Harry talks a little bit with Lupin. And something important that happened in that chapter was that Snape brings Lupin a potion. And all Lupin says is that... Snape has been kind enough to brew this potion. He hasn't been feeling well lately. We know that's the Wolfsbane potion that helps with his werewolf transformations. Harry also asks Lupin why he didn't let him fight the Boggart, because that was really bothering Harry. And Lupin explains that he just didn't want to turn into Voldemort, because that's what his thought was that Harry would be most scared of. Harry learns that he fears fear itself most out of everything after that conversation with Lupin. And Sirius Black entered the castle. 
he attacked the fat lady's portrait and she went into hiding because she was just so scared of that whole dramatic experience. So that's where the last week's chapter ended. Chapter eight, literally called Flight of the Fat Lady. That's what happened at the end of the chapter because Sirius Black was trying to get into the Gryffindor Tower. And of course, they, they're thinking it's to kill Harry. Nope, it was because he wanted to kill Scabbers, but they don't find that out till the end of the book. But that's basically what happened in last week's episode for chapter eight. The chapter begins with Dumbledore sending the Gryffindor students to the Great Hall. However, it's not just the Gryffindor students. He also sends the Ravenclaws, the Slytherins, the Hufflepuffs. He sends all students, like the entire student body, to the Great Hall. And the everyone except the Gryffindors, like Hufflepuff, Slytherin, and Ravenclaw, they're all extremely confused, like why they're being sent to the Great Hall when they were just go, about to go to bed. And Dumbledore says that the teachers need to conduct a thorough search of the castle. And of course, the Gryffindors are telling everyone about what just happened, what Peeves told them about Sirius Black attacking the fat lady because she wouldn't let him into the Gryffindor Tower. Remember, she's the one you have to give the password to in order to get into the Gryffindor Tower. And he didn't have a password. She didn't let him in. He got mad and attacked her portrait. As the teachers go to conduct a thorough search of the castle, Dumbledore leaves the head boy and head girl in charge and that anything that the head boy and head girl discover, any sort of disturbance, needs to be reported to Dumbledore immediately. And of course, you already know that Percy is very happy about this. He feels very proud and important. And basically, if anything happens here, that they are to send word with the ghosts and the ghosts will go and tell Dumbledore about whatever, if something should happen. The head boy and head girl are in charge, but the prefects are the ones that are supposed to stand guard at all of the hall entrances. And he basically, Dumbledore just moves the tables out of the way with magic, of course. And he conjures up hundreds of purple sleeping bags. And so the whole school is just going to have a sleepover here in the great hall. And once Dumbledore leaves and closes the door, like the big doors to the great hall, everyone just erupts and like, Everyone's just talking excitedly. Gryffindor's telling the whole school what happened. Percy, though, is telling them, nope, get into your sleeping bags. No more talking. Light down in 10 minutes and everything. But the entire school is just wants to know what happened, what's going to happen. Like, they're scared. They're kind of excited. They're nervous. Lots of emotions going on. And I do think it's, like, scary, given the reason they're in there. Like, if it was me in Hogwarts, I would be scared to think that Sirius Black was in the castle, you know, and he's attacking, he already attacked a portrait, he's not going to stop and not attack students if they come across him, right? That's what everyone's thinking. And it would be scary, the circumstances for why you have to do that big sleepover, but I think it'd be kind of fun or interesting to just do like a big, huge school sleepover. It's different. It's like a little change for them compared to always being in their dormitories. But I don't know. I just think it'd be kind of fun. The trio takes their sleeping bags and they go into a corner to go talk amongst themselves. And Hermione's, of course, very nervous, so is Ron. She's asking, do you think Black's still in the castle? And Ron's saying, well, Dumbledore obviously thinks he still is. That's why they went to go conduct a thorough search. And Hermione mentions that it's super lucky that it was tonight because they weren't in the tower. They were at the Halloween feast. And it's true. Like, it is it is very lucky um, for Scabbers. And for Harry, they think that Sirius is after Harry. So in their heads, it's like, oh, it's really lucky for Harry that he wasn't in the tower. But he was actually after Scabbers, a.k.a. Peter Pettigrew, Ron's pet, 
So that's his animagus form. So it's lucky for Peter slash Scabbers that they weren't in the tower because they were at the Halloween feast. And Ron makes a good point. He says that Sirius Black has probably lost track of time because, I mean, for one, he was in Azkaban for so long. They don't necessarily have calendars on the walls of their cells there, right? So he does know how many years it's been, 12 years. But because he's been on the run for over a month now, he, he's saying that Sirius probably lost track of time and he didn't realize that it was Halloween. And Ron thinks that if he would have realized he, it was Halloween, he would have burst into the Great Hall where Harry was, where all the students were. That's what Ron thinks. And everyone around them, like they're all in their sleeping bags now. Everyone is still kind of whispering. They're asking like, how did he get in? Hogwarts is supposed to be like the safest place ever, especially with Dumbledore being there, like the greatest wizard ever. It's supposed to be very safe. And there's dementors everywhere, like those scary dementors who guard Azkaban. They're wondering, how in the world did Sirius Black even get in? And so Ron's theory is that maybe he knows how to apparate. And yeah, he probably he probably does know how to apparate, for one thing. All sixth years at Hogwarts learn how to apparate. They take apparition lessons. So it's possible Sirius probably did learn how to apparate, like I'm sure he knows. And I doubt there's anything that would have stopped him from taking his apparition test. So you cannot take your apparition test until you turn 17. It's like driving. So you need to turn a certain age in order to take your test for your license. So same with apparition, you're 17 is adult age in the wizarding world, and you cannot take your apparition test until you're 17. So in the sixth year, for instance, it's Malfoy. He wasn't old enough. Harry, Neville, Harry, Neville, both born in July. So they were not old enough to take the apparition test yet, even though they went through the lessons. You have to be a certain age. So fun fact, Harry never actually ended up taking his apparition test because he doesn't turn 17 until July 31st. That's the summer. And school has already ended by that point. So Harry never took his apparition test. Um, it's possible he probably took it like after he saved the world, after the Battle of Hogwarts in the seventh book. But up, up until that point, he was just apparating illegally. Um, kind of like driving a car without a license is basically what he was doing. Um, he did do side-along apparition with Dumbledore when Dumbledore was too weak at the end of the sixth book. The night that Dumbledore dies, Harry takes them from the cave back to Hogsmeade because you cannot apparate into Hogwarts. Literally, only Dumbledore can. Only Dumbledore can do that. So everyone is offering up their theories about how Sirius Black got in. Some people think he apparated in. Someone else thinks he like disguised himself and somehow got in, which is pretty much what he did. He... I guess you could say he disguised himself in his animagus form as a dog, and no one knows that he's an animagus except for right now. The only living people that know that are Lupin and Peter Pettigrew. So you can consider his animagus form being a disguise, but that is not the type of disguise that these students are thinking at all. Like, that's not even on their minds. Someone else, Dean Thomas in particular, he says he could have flown in. And Hermione, being the voice of reason and logic, says, like, honestly, am I the only person who's ever bothered to read Hogwarts of History? And Ron tells her, probably, why? And she basically explains that you don't just have walls, like, protecting you, right? This is magic. There's enchantments in place. Um, it stops people from entering a certain way, so you can't just enter by stealth because of enchantments. And one of those methods is apparition. You can't just apparate into Hogwarts 
And she's saying, how could, what disguise would fool those dementors? Like, I'd like to know. And the disguise that can fool them is his animagus form as a dog, because that's how he escaped the first time. That's how he escaped Azkaban, was by turning into his animagus form. And right now, that's the same disguise that's fooling everybody again, including the dementors. And she's also confused. Hermione's like, well, also there's dementors at every entrance. Like how, how could he have gone past them again? And she's saying that Filch, Filch knows all the secret passages. He's going to have them covered. And she's also saying he couldn't have just flown in. That's not, a, it's not really a thing that most people do. Wizards do like, he's not going to just get on a broom and fly into Hogwarts. Voldemort can fly. It's in the seventh book where we learn that Voldemort can fly and it scares like, or the Phoenix is like, he can fly. Like, how can he even do that? It, it definitely scares them. And it reminds me too, for flying. Um, I'm a big Avatar, the last airbender fan. And in the legend of Korra. So, I mean, she's the second Avatar. It's not Avatar, the last airbender, but it's like the season, the series that came after the last Avatar season. In Korra, there's a villain who is an airbender and once all his earthly tethers are gone. So anyone and anything that he truly loves and cares about is like dead and gone. He is able to fly. And it's like such a huge, crazy thing because people like airbenders just don't do that. They can't just fly without their gliders and stuff like that. So it kind of reminds me here how flying in Harry Potter too, when Voldemort can fly, they realize he can fly in the seventh book. It is just the craziest thing to him ever. Also, you have to remember apparition. You, It's not necessarily like you can be on one corner of the world and apparate to the opposite side of the world. It's not like that. You have to be within a certain distance, like in a close pro- close-ish proximity. You can't, you know, um, for instance, in the seventh book, Voldemort, he is flying like across like an ocean or something. Like, I don't even remember where particularly he's flying across. I just know he was coming from Nurmengard. That's where Grindelwald was held. Voldemort had killed him. Then he got summons from his Death Eaters that Harry was at Malfoy Manor. This is in the seventh book. And so he kills Grindelwald and he flies. I think he's like across a lake. He's some body of water, lake, ocean, I don't know. But he's flying across that. And in the the link that Harry has with him where he can like hear his thoughts and everything as they're happening in real time. He hears or like knows Voldemort's thoughts about how he has to fly to a certain distance. And once he flies to that distance, he'll be close enough to apparate to where he needs to go. So you can't, it's not necessarily like you can just apparate wherever there's a lot of rules to it. And we'll get into it more as it comes up throughout like the sixth book but that's kind of the gist of it. Something else interesting about Apparition is that in Fantastic Beasts, in The Crimes of Grindelwald, the second book, or sorry, the second movie, you are able to apparate into Hogwarts. And it is so crazy. I remember a few years ago when that trailer first came out, it was showing wizards apparating into Hogwarts. And we were like, what are they doing? They can't do that. But then it's like, well, maybe they'll explain it. Maybe they used to be able, they clearly used to be able to operate into Hogwarts, onto Hogwarts grounds. And something happened where that rule was changed. And now nobody can except for Dumbledore. So it's, I want to, I mean, you don't know yet. We don't know why that rule changed, why they're not able to, what incident led to that. And I wish 
we would know. I really want to know. So I really hope there's another, at least one, one more Fantastic Beast movie and could kind of clear up some of those loose ends because that's one of them that kind of puzzles fans. Like, okay, so they used to be able to, but what changed? And what enchantment specifically stops them from doing that now? Like, what what changed? And why did Dumbledore change it? Because I'm 99% sure that it was Dumbledore who implemented that change. Like, I, I doubt that it was a Ministry of Magic thing. After Hermione uses her knowledge about Hogwarts history on why Sirius couldn't have gotten in any of the ways that the students mentioned with their theories, Percy starts to say, okay, no more talking, lights out, everyone go to sleep. And right when he says that, all of the candles go out and the only light is the ghosts that are flying around. Once every hour, there's a teacher who appears and they go in the hall and they just check on everything, talk to Percy, make sure everything is okay, everyone's quiet, no disturbances, nothing like that. Then around three in the morning, most of the students are asleep and Dumbledore walks in and he talks to Percy and they just happen to be near the trio's bags. So Harry is hearing all of this, their conversation. And it's all three of them, actually. They all pretend, Harry, Ron, Hermione are all awake, and they all pretend to be asleep as they hear Dumbledore and Percy kind of coming near them. And Percy asks, like, any sign of him, and Dumbledore tells him no, um, but there's no point in moving all of them now. They're already, it's three in the morning, they're asleep. Most of them are probably asleep, like, just leave it for now. And he says that he found a temporary guardian for the Gryffindor portrait hole, and they'll be able to move them, the Gryffindors, back in tomorrow. And this temporary guardian is Sir Cadagan. Sir Cadagan is the one we mentioned a few episodes ago. He was the one who showed Harry, Ron, Hermione how to get to the North Tower for their divination class. And he was the one who was crazy, like, saying, like, well, if you ever need someone brave, like, call me. And, you know, he was being just weird and all that. So he is the one who is going to be the new portrait hole guardian and you have to tell the passwords to him in order to get in. And they don't know this yet. They're going to find out tomorrow. But right now I'm just telling you guys that's who the guardian is going to be. It's Circa Dagen. Dumbledore says that the fat lady was found hiding in a map of Argyllshire. Argyllshire? Argyllshire? I'm not sure how to say that. But it's a county of Western Scotland. That's what I found when I looked it up because I wasn't sure what that meant. Sometimes it's called Argyll, I guess, but it's basically just a place in Scotland. And apparently you can see a lot of wildlife like golden eagles, red deer, a bunch of otters and seals and porpoises and stuff. So it, lo it looks beautiful like on maps, of course, all of Europe usually looks really pretty. But Argyllshire is like the map and it is something important in the Hogwarts Legacy, the new video game that came out this year. And you have to like solve the Argyllshire map puzzle. That's like one of the challenges you have to do in the game. Dumbledore says that she was hiding in there and they're gonna give her some time to just recuperate and calm down. And once that's done and once she feels she can go back to work, then Filch will restore her into that portrait hole. And I think it's really good that they're letting the fat lady take some time to recuperate because she needs that after a traumatic experience. And I think all jobs everywhere in the world in Harry Potter or real life should take that into consideration. Give people time to recuperate when they need it. 
Harry hears the great hall doors open again, and this time it's Snape who comes in. And he says that the whole third floor has been searched, and Sirius Black is not there. And Filch went to the dungeons and searched, and he wasn't there either. And I think it's interesting that they sent Filch to the dungeons. Like, Filch has no magic. I mean, maybe it's kind of brave, but not necessarily because it's Filch. More like he was just looking for, like, something to make him feel important is kind of what I'm thinking, because it's Filch. He's not a nice guy. Like, he's not a selfless person. I don't really think he's brave either. Um, and if I was a squib, I wouldn't want to go search for Sirius Black. Pretty much defenseless. Seriously. This is someone who's escaped Azkaban, who's apparently the first person in history to do so. Then he gets into Hogwarts, which you're not supposed to be able to do. I mean, come on. Like, if I was a squib, I'd, that's like, you're like defenseless. You have no magic, nothing. What are you like? What are you gonna do if you come across Sirius Black? Like he's gonna kill you probably. So, I don't know. Maybe it is brave in that sense. But Filch went to the dungeons and Sirius Black was not there. And Dumbledore says like, okay, that's expected. I I didn't really expect Black to just linger here once he knew he word got out or he sensed that we were gonna look for him. Like you know, he had to. He would have known that after the Gryffindor students saw the fat lady and they couldn't get into their towers that something was going on. And then Snape tells Dumbledore, like, okay, do you have any theories about how Sirius might have gotten in? And Dumbledore tells him, yeah, a few, but they're all very unlikely. And Harry opens his eyes just a little bit right now. And Dumbledore, is, his back is to him, but he seems calm as usual. Percy looks very attentive. I don't know why Percy's still there. Like, I don't know why <laughs> Snape chose right now to speak to... Dumbledore about this with Percy still there. It's kind of awkward and like not the place to do so or the time. Like they, they should have left the Great Hall. Anyways, and Snape looks very angry. And this is what Harry is seeing with his terrible vision, like squinting, like, you know, like barely looking through his eyes because he's supposed to be asleep right now. And so Siri, or sorry, Snape tells Dumbledore, remember the convo that we had earlier, that conversation at the start of term? And Dumbledore says, I do, Severus, and Harry hears, like, warning in his voice. So we already know Dumbledore sounds like this, and that means he doesn't want to hear whatever Snape has to say. And Snape presses the matter, though, because he holds childhood grudges, and he says that it seems almost impossible that Black could have entered the school without any help from someone on the inside. And I did express my concerns when you appointed, and he gets cut off by Dumbledore. And he says, I don't believe a single person in this castle would have helped Black enter it. And the way that Dumbledore says it is like his tone. It makes it clear that he doesn't want to hear Snape say this again. And Snape is aware of that. And the person that Snape was referring to is Lupin. Lupin was best friends with Sirius and James and Peter, the Marauders. That was Harry's dad and Peter Pettigrew, a.k.a. Scabbers. They were all best friends. And so Lupin who used to be friends with Sirius, he's very much like, okay, this is how Sirius is getting into the castle. Lupin thinks it's, or sorry, Snape thinks it's weird that Sirius escaped from Azkaban the year that his former friend is teaching at Hogwarts. And he, he's very suspicious of all of this. And he thinks that the reason that Sirius got into the castle is because of Lupin, when that is not true at all. Lupin still very much thinks that Sirius is a guilty man 
at this point in the book. It's literally not until one of the last chapters where he discovers the truth that Sirius was not a guilty man, in fact. So Snape really holds his childhood grudge and he thinks that it is Lupin who is helping Sirius into the castle. And when Dumbledore hired Lupin to be defense against a dark arts teacher, Snape expressed those concerns to Dumbledore and Dumbledore shut it down and he is shutting it down again. And Dumbledore says, okay, I need to go to the Dementors and let them know that the search is done. I told them I would inform them once we were done searching. And Percy asks if they wanted to help and Dumbledore is like, oh yeah, they wanted to help. But no Dementor will cross the threshold of this castle while I am headmaster. Because Dumbledore is not a fan of Death Eaters. I mean Dementors. <laughs> he's not a fan of Death Eaters either, either, but I meant to say Dementors. So he's not going to let them into the castle. And that's why they didn't assist in the search. The teachers just did it. Dumbledore leaves the hall and Snape just stands there. He's just watching with an expression of deep resentment on his face. And he's upset that Dumbledore shut him down like this. And he, I'm telling you, this guy's resentment and hatred runs deep. His hatred for Harry's dad, Sirius Lupin, like Snape has a deep hatred for all for them. And his resentment is very, very deep. He resents them, he hates them, and he also resents Dumbledore a lot. Yes, he's a double spy working for Dumbledore at, at great risk to his own life. It's very dangerous to do so. But still, I mean, he he very much resents him. And we're going to find out more, a little bit more in each book on why he resents Dumbledore. We'll find out the most in the seventh book, of course, but we will learn more and more about why Snape feels the way he does towards Dumbledore. The trio was listening this whole time to this conversation, and as Snape walks away, Harry looks to Ron and Hermione, and Ron mouths the words, what was that about, to him? Because they, they all heard that. They all saw the resentment on Snape's face and everything, so they're all kind of, they're all very curious as to what that was about. So the next few days, the school is only talking about Sirius Black. There's so many theories, even more theories than the night that it happened, and they keep getting crazier and more wild. Hannah Abbott, she's a Hufflepuff in the trio's ear. She is so adamant in her theory that Black can turn into a flowering shrub, and that's how he got into the castle. Like There, there are so, so many theories going on. And the fat lady, her canvas that was ripped, you know, Sirius attacked it. It was ripped off the wall or taken off the wall. And it was replaced with a portrait of Sir Cadagan and his pony. He has like a gray pony in his um, portrait. And nobody is very happy about him being the new like entrance. He's always challenging people to duels or he's thinking of just ridiculously intricate and complicated passwords and he changes them at least twice a day. No one can keep up, especially Neville. Neville has trouble remembering like one password, a couple passwords a year. If Cadagan is changing them multiple times a day, poor Neville is not gonna have a good time with this. He's gonna have trouble. In fact, he has so much trouble that he has to start writing down the passwords so that he can remember them. And this actually is really bad because in a few chapters, Neville loses this piece of paper and Sirius Black finds it, and he just reads the passwords to Sir Cadagan, and Sir Cadagan lets Sirius Black into the Gryffindor common room. Like, it's it's not good. Poor Neville gets in a lot of trouble later on. 
but that is what happens when Circa Dagen is such a terrible replacement. And everyone, like, no one can stand him. Seamus Finnegan tells Percy, like, he's a complete lunatic. Can, is there no one else that we can get to do this job? And Percy says that none of the other pictures wanted to do it. After what they saw what happened to the fat lady, like, no one else would do it. And Circa Dagen was the only brave enough one to volunteer. And Harry is annoyed by Circa Dagen, but he is at like the bottom of his priority list because he's starting to find that the teachers are making up excuses to walk alongside Harry in the corridors because all the teachers are like, oh no, Sirius Black, that that was really close. Like he could have gotten Harry. So now the teachers are like, okay, we got to do some extra work here. We got to start walking alongside him. Um, Percy too. Like Harry thinks that it's because Mrs. Weasley made Percy, like, ordered Percy in a letter to follow Harry and make sure he was safe. Like, that's what Harry's thinking. But Percy is starting to follow him everywhere, like a little guard dog. And Harry is not having it. He does not like it. And one day, McGonagall finally tells Harry to go into her office. And she starts by saying, there's no point in hiding it from you any longer. This will come as a serious shock to you. But Sirius Black, and Harry cuts her off and says, I know he's after me. And he explains that he heard Ron's dad telling Ron's mom, um, you know, Mr. Weasley works for the Ministry of Magic. Like, he knows these things. So McGonagall's like, she's actually kind of surprised. She's taken aback by the fact that Harry knew. She's like, okay, well, in that case, you'll understand why I don't think it's a good idea for you to be practicing Quidditch in the evenings. You're out on the field, in the air, like, you're very exposed. And Harry's like, okay, no. Our first match is on Saturday. I have to train. I can't just not do that. And Professor McGonagall is a Quidditch. She's an ex-Quidditch player. She played for Hogwarts, for Gryffindor specifically, when she was a student. So she's very competitive. She wants to win Quidditch. So even though she really wants Harry to be safe, she understands the importance of Quidditch. And he's in her house. Like, she knows that he wants to win. She wants to win very badly. So she understands the importance. Like, she's very interested in the Gryffindor team's prospects. She's the one who actually suggested Harry be a seeker in the first place. So McGonagall, she kind of caves and she's like, okay, well, you're right. I I would want us to see this Quidditch World Cup at last. Like, it's been too long. But... You do need someone present. So Madam Hooch is going to be overseeing the training sessions. Madam Hooch is the one in the first book who taught them how to, the first years, how to fly brooms. She's the one who did that um, lesson or those few lessons. And she's also a referee for the game. She usually refs those games. So she goes and accompanies the Gryffindors at night and like for their evening practices and serves as a guard. Honestly... I don't know why they weren't doing that in the first place, especially once they knew that Sirius was in Hogsmeade, like spotted in Hogsmeade. It was very, obviously they knew he was coming towards Hogwarts or going to attempt to get in. I'm sure they thought it was like impenetrable and he wouldn't be able to get in at all, but like he did. And there was always like this very slight possibility that that could have happened. So they should have just done this in the first place and had, a chaperone there when they were flying around the air at night unsupervised they should have just had somebody there so at the final practice before the first game oliver wood tells them that slytherin can't play because their seeker is injured 
you know, because Malfoy, that's like the perfect excuse for them because Malfoy's milking his injury. He's fine. But they're using that as an excuse. And Wood's saying it's because they don't want to play in the weather. And the weather is bad. It's like the winds are going to be insane. Rain, thunderstorm. Like it's, it's so dark in the corridors and the classrooms that they have extra torches and lanterns lit. Like outside, those weather conditions are pretty much unmanageable. And so Slytherin being like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. We have to let our seeker heal a little bit. He's injured, so we can't play. But no, it's the weather and they're just being cowards. They are the worst. So Hufflepuff now has to play instead. And Hufflepuffs are not excited about this either because it's bad weather. Like they were like, oh, we don't have a game this weekend. Like we got, we lucked out. No, you didn't because Malfoy is a coward and he's the worst. And now you guys have to play. And it's like, think about it in the first year after the Sorcerer's Stone like incident, Harry was knocked out. He was unconscious for like a few days and Gryffindor team still went out and played. So seriously, like, come on. Harry, they still proceeded and without a seeker, but, and yeah, you need a seeker to play, but the Gryffindors didn't have a choice in that at that point, but it's just working too conveniently for the Slytherins right now. And Wood says that they can't really prove that Malfoy's arm is fine. And it's like, I wonder if you can, has anybody tried like taking him out of the sling, just being like, okay, Malfoy, just take him out of the sling for a second, like somehow convincing him to do so, or maybe when he's in the hospital wing, having Madame Pomfrey, like take it out of the sling, and then someone decides to throw something at his supposedly bad arm. Like, couldn't they do something? I don't know. It, maybe that's just too much, but that could have been like a way to prove it. But Wood's saying, like, because Malfoy maybe would have caught it. You know what I mean? Like, just to trick him. But Wood is saying that there's no way to really prove it, that his arm is fine. And Wood's concern right now is that the last few weeks they've, for leading up to this match, they've been practicing according to as if they were playing Slytherin because that was who their first match was. However, now they're playing Hufflepuff and they have a different style. This year, Hufflepuffs have a new captain. He is the seeker for the team. And it is Cedric Diggory. He is a sixth year Hufflepuff. And I am so sad because this is Cedric's last year playing Quidditch because, spoiler alert, he dies next year. Next summer, Goblet of Fire, he is killed. So, and Harry witnesses his death. His death is the one that Harry first recognizes as death, and that's why he's able to see the Thestrals, those horses that move the carriages, because you can't see them unless you've seen death. Harry has already seen death, but he, like his parents when he was one years old, like he, they died. But he didn't know what it was. He saw his mom die. So that's why he isn't able to see the Thestrals yet. I did say that a few episodes ago. But, you know, I have to repeat important points like that. And that's a little bit of information about Cedric, who will be dead next year. Anyways, Cedric is a handsome, smart, great, perfect Hufflepuff example. He is just, anytime somebody asks me to describe, like, Hufflepuff house, I always use Cedric as an example because he is just like the perfect explanation of a Hufflepuff. And the example that I use is in a Triwizard Tournament, him and Harry are almost at the cup to win, to win the Triwizard Cup. And Harry had saved Cedric just before that in the task, in the maze, a few minutes before that. And they both see the cup and Cedric tells him, you take it, you saved me. Like you take the cup, you win. Like if it was me, 
yeah, I'm a Slytherin, but still, like, I would never be in Hufflepuff. But seriously, if it was me, I'd be like, okay, say less, knock him over, and I'd go get the cup myself. Harry doesn't do that because Harry is, you know, he's Harry. But I, that's how I would be. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to go get the cup. I wouldn't have saved him in the first place. That's actually where I should start. I wouldn't have saved him in the first place. But Harry did. And Cedric recognizes that. And he will give up the glory that Hufflepuff House really wants and needs because Harry did something good for him. And now he wants to do something for him in return. And it's not like a pay a debt, get even type of thing. It's just the goodness of his heart. That's how Cedric is. And that's just a really good example of a Hufflepuff. Like that's a great Hufflepuff right there. And that's the example I like to use. Anyways, once Wood mentions the words or the name Cedric Diggory, all the girls laugh because they have a crush on him because he's handsome. Fred tells Oliver, I don't know why you're worried because Hufflepuff are pushovers. And he's saying last time you played them, Harry caught the snitch in five minutes. Remember, like we'll be completely fine. But Wood is saying we're playing in completely different conditions. I wouldn't, I shouldn't say just saying he is shouting. Like he is stressed out. His eyes are bulging. Wood is stressed out. Like remember he wants the cup so badly. So he's saying like we're playing completely different conditions. The weather is going to be insane tomorrow. And Degree is like his team is strong. He's put together a really good team this year and he's an excellent seeker. And he's saying, this is what I was worried about that you guys wouldn't take it seriously. Like, no, we can't just sit back and relax. We need to keep our focus. And Slytherin is trying to, they're just being Slytherins. They're doing what they can to get their way. And this is one of the ways that they're doing that. They're faking an injury and letting a different team play in these terrible weather conditions. So they're like, no, we must win. Like, Wood is going crazy right now. Like he is stressed out. He wants to win so badly. Cause remember it's his last year at Hogwarts. This is his last chance to win the house cup, the Quidditch cup, I should say, not the house cup. And Wood is so intense to the point where even Fred, you know, the twins are the twins. They're very much like mischievous and messing around with people. But Fred actually looks like alarmed at how intense wood is acting so he's saying like oliver you need to calm down like we are taking hufflepuff seriously and so harry can't even worry about Sirius black like he can only worry about the quidditch match tomorrow because that's all wood will talk remind him about really it's just that he runs up to him in between classes and gives him tips and it keeps happening like and the third time it happened wood was talking to him for so long and would not let him go that Harry realized that he was 10 minutes late for defense against the dark arts. And when he realized that he just runs away from wood and he just still shouts after him, giving him like all these tips, like the particular one he's giving him when Harry runs away from him is that Diggory's got a very fast swerve. So that means he's like a really good flyer and Harry's going to have to loop around him in the air. And then once he gets to defense against the dark arts, he starts to say, sorry, professor Lupin, I'm late. And he starts to explain, but it's not Lupin there. It is Harry's least favorite teacher in the world. It's Snape. He's substituting for Defense Against the Dark Arts. So this is a really, really, really bad day for Harry to be late. Snape, of course, takes 10 points from Gryffindor and tells Harry to sit down. But Harry doesn't sit down. He's very confused. And he asks, where's Lupin? And Snape tells him like oh I think he's too he's too ill to teach today like sit down and Harry doesn't move he asks what's wrong with him because he wants to know and Snape says nothing life-threatening five more points if I have to ask you a third time it's going to be 50 points 
So he's already taken 15 points. You don't need 50 taken. Like, that's not good. So Harry sits down, still annoyed that Snape is teaching instead of Lupin today. And so he's saying, before Potter interrupted, Lupin left no records of the topics you've covered so far. So Hermione informs him, like, we did Bogarts, Redcaps, Kappas, Grindelows, and we're about to start. But Snape cuts her off, tells her to be quiet, and says that he wasn't asking for information. He was just commenting on Professor Lupin's lack of organization. Like, no. You, I'm telling you, he's a nasty man. Even, like, mentioning this in front of the students, like, he's not unorganized. He's really great, actually, and you just want to try to find um, faults in him because it makes you feel better to be little people. That's how Snape is. He, he's really terrible. And Dean Thomas, he actually boldly tells him he's the best defense against a dark arts teacher we've ever had. And he's a Gryffindor. He's brave enough to say that. He's like, he says it boldly. Like, he's proud. Like, he's the best teacher we've had for defense against the dark arts. Like, come on, let's be real here. And everyone just kind of murmurs in agreement around and like, because they agree he is the best defense against the dark arts teacher they've had. And Snape just just does not like hearing that at all. He looks even more menacing and says that the class is just too easily satisfied. Like Lupin is hardly overtaxing you. And he's saying that I would, I would expect first years to deal with red caps and Grindelows. So he says today we are going to be talking about werewolves. And before I get into this like iconic conversation that's about to come up, and I say iconic because the movie, this movie scene, it is so good, but also there's one thing that happens that, oh my God, it's so bad. I hate that they made this change. So I'll get into that for sure. But before I get into that, I did want to say that these questions that Harry's asking, like, where's Lupin? What's wrong with him? I mean... It's Snape for one thing. You can't expect him to give Harry an explanation. But also, like, that's kind of, like, confidentiality, too. So, I mean, Harry, like, come on. You can't actually expect him to really answer your questions and to do it truthfully as that. So Snape is trying to make Lupin look bad. And Dean defending him and everyone agreeing, like, did not help with that. And he's teaching them about werewolves. Lupin is a werewolf. Remember the wolfsbane potion that he made for Lupin in the last chapter? He's helping him out because Dumbledore wants him to. He's probably telling him to brood that potion. And he has to because Snape has to follow Dumbledore's orders. But he still is going to do what he can to try to expose Lupin. So he's trying to make him look bad in multiple ways. And this is one of them. But he can't just outright tell the class that Lupin is a werewolf. Hermione is the only one smart enough to figure it out. This is what makes Hermione know that Lupin is in fact a werewolf. And he, he is just so petty. He's really holding a grudge from his childhood. And I guess I'd be mad too considering what happened. Um, but Snape is still Snape no matter what. If you guys don't remember what happened was that... Sirius tricked Snape into going to the Whomping Willow. That is where Lupin would go to transform in his, um, to become a werewolf, right? And he's, werewolves are very dangerous. They will kill anybody and anything. So Snape being all nosy and everything was like, okay, I'm going to go down here. And Snape tricked, or sorry, Sirius tricked Snape into going down there. And 
Harry's dad, James, found out about it. And he saved Snape because he knew Lupin can't control himself in werewolf form. And he knew that Snape would be killed. And Sirius thought it was hilarious because he hated Snape. And James knew that it wasn't right. So he, at great risk to his own life, he saved Snape from getting killed. And he, so I get it. I would probably hold a grudge for that too, honestly. But that doesn't change the fact that Snape is Snape. And he will always be petty and resentful and rude and full of hatred. It doesn't change that fact. So Snape says they're going to be learning about werewolves and Hermione. She is unable to restrain herself. That's like Harry's point of view. Like she's seemingly unable to restrain herself. And she tells him we're not supposed to start werewolves yet. We're supposed to start hinky punks. And Snape tells her, so I'm going to read this, like some of these lines, cause it's just so good. Miss Granger said Snape in a voice of deadly calm. I was under the impression that I am teaching this lesson, not you. And I'm telling you all to turn to page 394, all of you now. And everyone just opens their books. And then Snape starts to ask, how can you distinguish a werewolf versus a wolf? And so Hermione, um, whose hand, she raises her hand into the air, of course, and she wants to explain. However, Pavardi is like, we told you we haven't gone on to werewolves yet. So how are we supposed to know? And Snape silences her and says, I never thought I'd meet a third year class who wouldn't even recognize a werewolf when they saw one. And he says that he's going to make a point of informing Dumbledore about how behind they all are, which they are not. They literally are not. He is just being rude. He's also ignoring Hermione. He's just being ridiculous. No pun intended. <laughs> because remember, he was Neville's bodyguard, and ridiculous is what made him look ridiculous. So Hermione, her hand is still in the air, but she tells him, sir, please, like, I'll explain it. The werewolf differs um, from an actual wolf in different ways. And she starts to say that the snout of the werewolf, like explain that. But Snape says, this is the second time you have spoken out of turn, Miss Granger. Five more points from Gryffindor for being an insufferable know-it-all. And this, gosh, this next like half of page is so important. And oh God, I can't even get into how important it is. I obviously will, because that's what I do on this podcast. But it just makes me so mad right now because Snape is being so rude. And tells her, so five more points from Gryffindor for being an insufferable know-it-all. Then I'm going to read the paragraph. Hermione went very red, put down her hand, and stared at the floor with her eyes full of tears. It was a mark of how much the class loathed Snape that they were all glaring at him. Because every one of them had called Hermione a know-it-all at least once. And Ron, who told Hermione she was a know-it-all at least twice a week, said loudly, you asked us a question and she knows the answer. Why ask if you don't want to be told? The class knew instantly he'd gone too far. Snape advanced on Ron slowly and the room held its breath. Detention, Weasley, Snape said silkily, his face very close to Ron's. And if I ever hear you criticize the way I teach a class again, you will be very sorry indeed. No one made a sound throughout the rest of the lesson. They sat and made notes on werewolves from the textbook while Snape prowled up and down the rows of desks, examining the work they had been doing with Professor Lupin. And then he starts, say, like, these are like their homework essays and stuff. So he's saying that Lupin gave this essay an 8 out of 10. I would have barely given it a 3. Like, it's, he is just finding more ways to be petty. Also, they're copying, they're making notes on werewolves from the textbook. 
Snape, just teach them. Like, actually teach them. Why are they making notes from a textbook? Like, that can be a homework assignment that they can do later or something. Actually teach them, and then they can use the textbook as supplemental information. Like, I can't stand teachers that do that, where they read from the slides. Like, just, can you actually teach? We can read ourselves, teach, and then we can go from there. Like, oh my god, that's just what Snape is doing right now. So we can't even teach this class properly. Like, Lupin was doing fine. You're not stick to potions. Like, he's just making me so mad. Everyone is relieved once the bell rings, but Snape holds them back. He's like, nope, I'm not done. And he tells them that they're going to write an essay and it's going to be an essay on the ways you recognize and kill werewolves. And he wants two rolls of parchment on the subject by Monday morning. And he's saying it is time that somebody took this class in hand. And he says, Weasley, stay behind. We need to arrange your detention. So Harry and Hermione wait outside of the room. Um, He just waits until... Ron comes out with his, like, detention assignment, and they leave. They're all angry, and Harry's saying, Snape has never been like this with any of our other Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, even if he did want the job. Like, he's never been this nasty and cruel and everything, and he's wondering, like, what is his beef with Lupin? Why does he hate Lupin so much? He's wondering, like, maybe it's the Bogart? Like, is that why he's so angry and hates him so much? And he's, like, saying, like... They're both saying, I just hope Professor Lupin comes back because, like, we don't want to deal with this anymore. Or, like, gets better soon. He is coming back, but they want him to feel better soon. And so Ron is in a towering rage. Like, he is very angry. And he's he actually says, you know, with that, and then he called Snape something that her, made Hermione say, Ron, like, he probably used, like, a swear word. And he's saying, do you know what he's making me do? I've got to scrub out the bedpans in the hospital wing without magic. And he even says, why couldn't Black have hidden in Snape's office? He could have finished him off for us. <laughs> so, yeah, the Snape hatred runs deep in the Gryffindors. It doesn't say which class is with them, like which other house. If it's Hufflepuffs or Ravenclaws, um, but it's not Slytherins. We do know it is not Slytherins with them, and I'm so glad. In the movie, they do have the Slytherins there with them. But, oh gosh, I am so happy that they're not here in the book because, man, it that was not a good time. And the Slytherins would have loved how nasty Snape was being towards these students. And so, got a lot to unpack here from this event. Um, the next thing that happens in this chapter is, like, the Quidditch match, and I will talk about that. But for now, we got a few things to unpack here. So... That sentence, the mark of how much they loathed Snape, because they call Hermione a know-it-all. Every single one of them in that class has called her a know-it-all. Ron does it multiple times a week. But the fact that Snape did it and the way he said it and his reasons for doing it was just not okay. No one was okay about that. They, And a mark of how much they loathed Snape, like that's big for these 13-year-olds to hate him so much for saying something about their classmate. Like that, that is not okay. And he's just, he's just being mean and nasty and he is being petty and he is allowing his hatred for Lupin and he's openly speaking about it, how much he disapproves of Lupin's teaching to his class, his class who really likes him, who loves his teaching and who is learning so much from him. Snape, you were a 30, he was, let me do the math for a second. How old he was at this point here? Okay, so he was either 33 or 34 at this point. Like, are you serious, Snape? You you are a grown man who cannot let go of things that happened when you were, like, 
15, 16, 17 years old, 14, 15, however old he was. He was Hogwarts age, somewhere there. And he is allowing it to cloud his judgment. And he is just being even more nasty than usual and even more rude and vile, like, and cruel. He, I can't say enough bad things about him right now. He is just being terrible right now. And so right here, I love the fact that Harry and Ron have so much care and love for Hermione. The whole class, I mean, cares about her to some extent, clearly. I mean, the fact that at least all the Gryffindors there, the fact that they loathe Snape so much that the whole class, you could just feel their anger at him after he said that to Hermione. And Hermione, like, she got embarrassed. Like, her face went red. She started to cry. Like, he was being really rude to her. And um, it's true. She was, Ron was completely right. She was the only one who knew the answer. He asked the class a question and she was the only one who knew the answer. So why ask the question if you don't want the answer? Like, what's the point? He's completely right. He is completely right, Snape. Like, she knew the answer that you wanted and she was probably right and might have even taught you a thing or two because she's so smart. But here you are calling her an insufferable know-it-all. And it makes Hermione really sad and makes the class very angry. So in this book here, I love the way it's done because of, like, for instance, Ron. Like, the care he has for her at this point. Like, he's like, why would you say that? Like, he's defending her. And it even reminds me of Goblet of Fire. In the next book, there's an incident where Malfoy is and Harry are about to duel. Like, not duel necessarily, but they're throwing some spells at each other, right? Some curses. And Malfoy does a jinx on her or a curse or jinx or whatever towards Harry, but it ends up hitting Hermione. So the spell is Densagio. I don't know if I say that right. And it's not in the movie, so we don't have like a pronunciation of it, but it's spelled D-E-N-S-A-U-G-O. And basically it's the spell. It causes the victim's teeth to enlarge, like grotesquely insane. Hermione already has like, it's a hex. So she already has big teeth and this spell is causing her already big huge teeth to grow at a very alarming rate and like she it hits her and they keep growing like past her chin like very like tusks and it you know it happens and she's like covering her face but Ron and Harry they're actually fighting Harry and Ron at this point in the book but they both like force her to like Hermione show me like I need to see what just happened to you and then she shows them. And so then Snape gets there. Of course, it had to be Snape there. And so Ron says, like, look, look what Malfoy did. Look what is cursed into her. And so he forced it, like, moves her hands like Hermione, show him. And so she shows him. And you know what Snape says? He says, I see no difference. That is so, so rude. Like, I can't even, oh my gosh, I can believe he did it. But it's, it is so mean and so rude and nasty of him to say and so as soon as he says that, like Ron and Harry right away just start yelling and arguing at Snape because why would you think that's okay to say? And they're defending Hermione because they care about her and then they get in trouble with Snape because they're yelling at him or whatever. But that's just another example. Like they care for Hermione and this is one of those instances where it's like, it's not okay for you to talk to our friend like that. But the movie does not take that approach. And I'm going to play the clip of what is said in the movie instead. Turn to page 394. Excuse me, sir. Where's Professor Lupin? 
That's not really your concern, is it, Potter? Suffice it to say that your professor finds himself incapable of teaching at the present time. Turn to page 394. Werewolves? But, sir, we've just begun learning about red caps and hinky punks. We're not meant to start nocturnal beasts for weeks. Quiet. When did she come in? Did you see her come in? Now, which one of you can tell me the difference between an animagus and a werewolf? No one. How disappointing. Please, sir. An animagus is a wizard who elects to turn into an animal. A werewolf has no choice. With each full moon, when he transforms, he no longer remembers who he is. He'd kill his best friend if he crossed his path. Furthermore, the werewolf only responds to the call of its own kind. Oh! <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Malfoy. That is the second time you've spoken out of turn, Miss Granger. Are you incapable of restraining yourself, or do you take pride in being an insufferable know-it-all? He's got a point, you know. Five points from Gryffindor. So that sigh at the end you just heard, that was the Gryffindors like being annoyed that they got points taken off. So I'm going to discuss this more when I do my Prisoner of Azkaban movie first book comparison because it's important. But for right now, I'm going to talk a little bit about it because I just can't believe it. Like, why was that line changed? Ron in the book went from defending Hermione, like with passion against Snape, to now being like, he's got a point, you know? What the hell? What was that? Why was that change made? It was so unnecessary. And it almost makes it like he really dislikes Hermione. He's so annoyed by her. Yeah, he gets annoyed by her. Everybody does. But he wouldn't say something like that. Like, maybe he has a point in a way because multiple people call Hermione a know-it-all. But the way he... It was not okay. Snape was not justified in saying that at all in the way he said it. And in the movie, yeah, Hermione doesn't cry. She's not, she's kind of upset by it, but not really in the book. She's very upset by it. The whole class is mad. And in the movie, not the case. The Slytherins are there in the movie and they're like, oh, I think it's so funny he said that because he was mean to Hermione. Like, and they don't call Hermione, they call her Granger, but you know what I mean. So it's like, seriously, no, I'm, no one makes a sound when in the class when that happens, but in the movie, the Slytherins are there. That's an okay change. But why didn't they stay true to Hermione being very upset by it and Ron defending her? And they changed it to, he's got a point, you know? Like, seriously, that just was so unnecessary. And I just, I don't like that change at all. And I like how this played out in the book because it shows the friendship and the care that the class has for Hermione, you know, to an extent, and the hatred they have for Snape. So... It's a very important scene and it's so controversial in the fandom, like the change. That scene was, it's iconic because of Alan Rickman does a fantastic job playing Snape and him saying, turn to page 394, like, oh my gosh, it's so good. That is just so good. People love that line so much. So I like that part. And, you know, the whole line delivery is great too. And I love how Hermione, that's one of the moments in the movie where Hermione shows up and it's like out of nowhere. Again, that's the time turner thing. And so Ron's like, did you see her come in? Like he's all confused. 
the whole class is actually because her voice just comes out of nowhere to answer Snape's question the first time. And she's sitting next to Harry and Harry turns like, wait, what? She wasn't just there. The entire class is like confused that they hear Hermione's voice all of a sudden when she wasn't there a second ago. So there are some okay change, like good changes. Like that's a good change that I like. But overall, changing Ron's line to the opposite of what he was saying, I don't like that. And I have to talk about it because it just, it just blows my mind. And that is one thing in the show when it comes out, I'm sure that is not a change they will make. They will stay true to what Ron said and the reaction from the class because in the movie, that particular change with Ron was just not good. The turn to page 394, that line delivery, there's some good things about it, but in particular, that was not good. So that's on a Friday. Now it is Saturday morning, the morning of the Quidditch match. And Harry wakes up super, super early. He, it's super like pitch black outside and in like in the common or in their dorm room anyways. But it's because he feels, he like hears a roaring of wind. That's what he thinks wakes him up. And he feels this really cold breeze. And he sits up cause it's like on his like neck is where he feels it. And it's Peeves. Peeves was floating next to him, blowing really hard in his ear. And Harry is furious. And he asks him, what did you do that for? And he did it to be annoying Harry because he's Peeves and he likes causing mischief. So Peeves like blows really hard at Harry one more time and just like zooms backward out of the room and he's cackling. He thinks it's so funny. So Harry looks at his alarm clock and it's 4.30. He is absolutely furious and he, he can't go back to sleep. It's very difficult now that he's awake to ignore all the sounds of the thunder and like the wind that's just howling outside and you, he, he can hear the creaking of the trees in a forbidden forest. Like this weather right now is just absolutely insane. So he can't go back to sleep now. He has to be up in a few hours to go onto the Quidditch field. So after a bit, he kind of just gives up any hope of falling asleep because he's a little nervous too, you know, to play in that weather and everything. So he gets dressed, gets his Nimbus 2000 and walks quietly out of his dorm. He doesn't want to wake up everybody else in there. That's Ron, Neville, Seamus, and Dean. So Harry opens the door and he feels something brush against his leg and he looks down and it is Crookshanks. So just in time, he bends down and picks Crookshanks up and he like, or he doesn't actually pick him up. He just like grabs his tail and like drags him outside. And he's, cause Crookshanks was outside of that door waiting for an opportunity to go in cause he wanted to get scabbers, right? So Harry tells him, in a suspicious voice. I think it's so funny. He says, you know, I reckon Ron was right about you. There's plenty of mice around this place. Go and chase them. Go on. Leave Scabbers alone. Um, so he kind of like nudges Crookshanks away from the door. And yeah, Ron is right about him. And Harry is right about Ron being right about Crookshanks. He is after Scabbers. And I'm going to explain briefly that basically Crookshanks is after is after Scabbers, but Sirius has been in contact with Crookshanks in his dog form, like in his Animagus form as a dog. Sirius has been in contact with Crookshanks and has somehow explained that Scabbers is no good, up to no good. He's evil and Crookshanks is kind of like on a mission of sorts to get Scabbers, like after um, interacting with Sirius. And I'd say way to go, Crookshanks. Like if 
if his tail hadn't brushed against Harry's leg, Harry wouldn't have known and Crookshanks would have been in there and would have gotten Scabbers. But that is a little bit of background on why Scabbers or Crookshanks is after Scabbers. Um, And it's not just for the fact that Crookshanks is a cat and Scabbers is a rat. Harry is starting to feel very nervous about this whole um, match because... Yeah, Cedric is a lot bigger than him. He's a fifth year. Harry's a third year. Harry's feeling apprehensive, um, especially because Wood is kind of like psyching them out, maybe just a little tiny bit. And the weather outside, that is not helping. Like, it's some insane weather. And Quidditch is just so brutal in general. Like, why like why would they care over trifle things such as thunderstorms? They don't. Quidditch is a brutal, dangerous game, and weather is just not going to postpone a match so that's quidditch for you and as harry is sitting in the common room you know kind of waiting for everyone else to like get up i guess like he's just waiting for the time he needs to go down to have breakfast and everything he's just sitting in front of the fire he's getting up every now and then because crookshanks keeps trying to sneak up to the boy's staircase so he (laughs) he has to keep stopping him and that's what harry does for a couple hours until he goes down to breakfast and as he, like, comes out of the portrait hole, Kadagan tells him, stand and fight. And Harry just tells him to shut up. Like, he is not in the mood. So he feels a little bit better after he has um, a big bowl of porridge. Then he's starting to have some toast when the rest of the team turns up. And Wood is there, and he's not eating anything. He is nervous. He's saying it's going to be a tough one. And Alicia's telling him to stop worrying. Like, we don't mind a bit of rain. Like, we'll be okay. But it's not a little bit of rain. It is a full-on thunderstorm, like dangerous, pouring, pouring rain, wind, everything, dark. Like, it's it's not just a bit of rain. But Quidditch is so popular. The whole school turns out to watch the match as usual. They head down, and the umbrellas, honestly, aren't really doing anything because the wind is so intense that it's blowing the umbrellas, like, away. And, like, there has to be another... Sp- like, seriously, you guys are wizard- wizards and witches. There's other spells you can do. But maybe they haven't learned them yet. So that's why they aren't doing more for the weather. And as Harry's going into the locker room, he sees some of his least favorite people, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle. They're laughing and pointing at Harry under a huge umbrella. So that's already, like, suspicious. That's sketchy already to begin with. So they change into their Quidditch robes, the Gryffindor team. They're in the locker room and they're waiting for Wood's like pre-game pep talk that he always does, but it never comes. He tries to speak like a few times, but he's he makes like these weird gulping no- noises, like he he can't really speak. So after a while, he just kind of shakes his head hopelessly and then beckons the team to follow him out. And I have to say, Wood, you are not being a good captain right now. We know that you really, really want to win this match. And you're a seventh year. It's your last chance to win the Quidditch Cup. We get that. But you, like right now, you are not being a good captain. You need to be a leader for your team, no matter the, no matter what the weather is, the circumstances. If you're going to be acting hopeless and you can't even give like a pep talk that you can't even fake it till you make it, what message does that send to your team? Like he is not being a good captain and leader right now. Like I am, I'm not happy with Wood and the vibe that he's giving off right now. That is not okay for his team. Not happy with him right now. The wind is so intense and so strong that as they're walking out onto the field, like 
they are staggering. They can't even walk straight, walk properly. And they don't even know if the crowd is cheering for them, the school, because they can't hear it because thunder is just so loud and just constant. And rain is splattering all over Harry's glasses. And he's wondering, how can he even see the snitch if they can barely see in front of them and his glasses like he can't see? How is he going to see the snitch? That is a big, big, big problem because Harry needs to catch the snitch for them to win. And it makes you wonder, oh, if only there was some magical spell that they could use so that Harry's glasses wouldn't be affected by this rain that he could see out of them. Uh, well, yeah. Luckily, Hermione is going to be the solution to that in a few minutes. Pufflepuffs and Gryffindors are now on the field. Madam Hooch is, in fact, the one who is being the ref for this match. Cedric smiles at Oliver, but Oliver just shakes his hand and just nods. He, like, has no expression. Like, he just is lockjaw right now. And so then they hear, like, the shrill and distant sound of the whistle. And then they're off into the air. Harry rises up pretty fast because he has a Nimbus 2000. It's really good room. Not as good as the Firebolt, though. And remember the Firebolt he saw in Diagon Alley. And the Nimbus is swerving, like, everywhere. It's, the wind is, it's not, like, intensely swerving, but it is slightly swerving because of the wind. Like, even on his really good broom, it's a little bit hard to fly. And Harry's, like, trying to stay as steady as he can, and he's squinting into the rain, but within five minutes, like, they're all just soaked. Harry can barely see his own teammates. How is he going to see the tiny, super fast golden snitch? And so... He's like blurring past red and yellow shapes. Red are the Gryffindor team robes and yellow is the Hufflepuff team robes. So he, and the sky is just getting darker. Like he can barely see. Two times he's almost hit by a bludger or he's hit another person. And like beneath them, the crowd, all you can see is just like cloaks and battered umbrellas that are serving no purpose right now in this rain. So he's just so clouded. He can't even see. And he's losing track of time. He doesn't know how long they've been up in the air. Like, it is just an absolute mess. Like, he can't see anything, really. And so the first flash of lightning happens. So there's now lightning during this game. And Madame Hooch, they can hear the whistle barely. And he sees the outline of Oliver, like, um, calling him, like, motioning him to come to the ground. So it's like a t it's a timeout. And there's this large umbrella that happens it's like a tent i'm guessing kind of like how would a large umbrella hold seven people unless it's a super extra large umbrella but this one is staying sturdy like i'm sure it's like some sort of magical one right harry has no idea what the score is he asks wood and he tells him they're 50 points up but unless they catch the snitch soon like they're gonna be playing well into the night like unless hufflepuff catches it first and harry says he has no chance and he motions to his glasses like, I can't see anything at all. And then their hero, Hermione, gets there. And she taps Harry on the shoulder. And she's like, I have an idea. Give me your glasses, quick. And he hands them to her. And she does the spell impervious. And the whole team is just watching in amazement. And she says, there, Harry, they'll repel water. So that was, honestly, I'm surprised Wood didn't think of this first. Like, did, like, I don't know. He's a, he's a seventh year here. He doesn't know these spells, but he didn't think of it. Hermione did. And now she is the team's savior. So after she tells them that the glasses will now repel water, says, Wood looked as though he could have kissed her. And I kind of wish he would. Like, I, 
I don't know, maybe I would ship Oliver and Hermione if she doesn't end up with Ron, because I like when her and Victor are together. So I don't know, I kind of ship it. But also like, he's kind of too old for her right now. She's 13 and he's 16 or 17. And like, I mean, in the fourth year, Hermione's 14 and Victor is 17 and they're like kind of dating or whatever. So, I mean, you know, I kind you know, I don't know. I kind of ship it though. I do like her with Ron and I'm glad they end up together. But in this moment, like he is just so overjoyed and happy that she did the spell because she is quite literally their savior right now because they can't win unless Harry catches the snitch. Harry can't catch the snitch because he can't see in this weather. He can't take off his glasses because he needs them to see. And they're hindering him with the rain and everything. So now the glasses are repelling water and like the spell just works perfectly. Like after she does that, Wood looks like he could kiss her because he's in so in awe of her right now. And then they're like, okay, let's go for it. Now he is rejuvenated with this new motivation. He doesn't feel so hopeless anymore. And the spell worked perfectly and they're all full of determination right now. So they go fly up into the air, the game resumes and there's more thunder, there's more lightning. It's just repetitive, thunder, lightning, thunder, lightning. And it's getting very, very, very dangerous. You would think they would have stopped it like teachers, hello, but no, they don't. So Harry's thinking like, I just, I need to catch the snitch like right now. It's a little bit easier right now because they're still freezing, they're still numb, but at least Harry can see now, but it's still dangerous. At the beginning of this video, I did say I might do a part two for this chapter, but I don't wanna do one episode for like a 15, 20 minute long episode for the remainder of this chapter. So I'm just gonna finish in this section and it will just be one part. Okay, back to this dangerous Quidditch match. With all of the lightning, it's illuminating the stands. And Harry sees something during one of the lightning strikes that just completely distracts him. At the very top row of the stands, like the row of seats, it's empty. Um, the students are all in the stands, but they don't want to be at the top row, especially with this weather. So at that top row he sees a black dog, that enormous shaggy black dog that he's been seeing a few times now, that death omen on the cover, right? So this is a little bit like weird to him. It's not necessarily frightening him, but it it's weird. And he's very distracted by it. He's like, why am I seeing this dog, this omen again? Remember divination? Like he's definitely like a little freaked out right now. So... His, his hands kind of slip a little bit on his broom handle and he drops a little bit like in the air on his, on his broom. And then he looks again to the spot where he saw the dog and it's not there anymore. So he's not just seeing things. He really did see this dog. There really was the dog there. That dog, of course, is Sirius Black in his animagus form. And he finds out later in this book that Sirius was there because he wanted to watch Harry play Quidditch. He had somehow heard that Harry was um, the Gryffindor team seeker and or just that he was a Quidditch player and he wanted to go watch him play. He wanted to watch his godson. Remember, Harry is Sirius's godson. And he tells him, yeah, I went to go watch you play. You play a lot like your dad. You're very good. So it's kind of cute. He's watching his godson play. Of course, Harry does not think that right now. He's a little freaked out by it. But later on, it, he's kind of appreciative of that fact. So 
wood is somewhat nearby him enough so that Harry can hear him yell at him. So Oliver yells at him, Harry, Harry behind you. And it is Cedric Diggory who was flying very fast, chasing this tiny speck of gold that's just shimmering in the air. And of course, that's the snitch. So since Cedric is a Hufflepuff seeker, if he catches it, Hufflepuff will win. And, and I mean, it ends the match and Gryffindor is not far ahead enough in points so that they would they would win still if Hufflepuff caught the snitch. So Harry needs to go get the snitch. Remember, some people think that whoever catches the snitch first, that's whose team wins, and that's not the case. The snitch will give whoever caught it, that team, it gives them 150 points. But if your team is so far low in points, you're not going to win, you know, because... 150, if you're more than 150 points behind the other team, it's going to end the match, but you're not going to win. So an example of this is actually in the next book. Victor Crumb, during the Quidditch World Cup, he plays for Bulgaria and Ireland is who they were playing in the Quidditch World Cup. And Ireland was so far ahead in points that when Victor Crumb caught the snitch, his, it ended the game, but the you know Ireland still won because Bulgaria was so far behind in points. And a lot of that was controversial for some people because they were like, they should have, he should have let his team get more points. But Victor Crumb caught it because that was him ending the game on his own terms. And it's like, is he going to wait around for the entire, his entire team to try to get some more points, get 150 plus points? Or is he going to risk maybe the Ireland seeker catching a snitch before he does? You know, but Victor Crumb is the best seeker in the world at the time. So it's like, he he knows what he's doing but that's just a little bit info about the snitch and the point system and how that works with the winning so harry panics because he sees that cedric is about to catch the snitch so his, he just zooms on his nimbus 2000 like very very quickly but something odd starts to happen there's an eerie silence falling across the stadium the wind, though strong as ever, was forgetting to roar. It was as though someone had turned off the sound, as though Harry had suddenly gone deaf. And he's thinking, what is going on? That's a creepy description. I'd be kind of scared of that, too. And then he feels a horribly familiar wave of cold that just like feels like it's inside his entire body. And he starts to become aware of something that is on the field. And it's at least a hundred Dementors and their faces are hidden, but they're looking up at him. They're like kind of standing beneath him. And he feels as though freezing water were rising in his chest and cutting at his insides. And I'm, I prefer heat to cold. And so I always think that cold hurts. Like it's kind of painful sometimes when it's like very cold when you're freezing and that's what this reminds me of. Like, it's not the same, of course, but freezing water, cutting at your insides, like it's like a painful type of cold. It's like a really like hurtful chill is kind of what Harry's feeling. And then like he did on the train, that screaming woman, he's hearing it again. Remember the dementors affect Harry so much because he has the most hardship and struggles or I guess sorrow, the most sadness and sorrow in his in his life that he's experienced with his parents' death. So that's why Harry is so affected by the Dementors. That's why they prey on him the most because he has so much to give them. So that's why Harry is so affected again, just to reiterate that point, because that's he was so confused by that. And so he hears the screaming and he hears a, another voice too. It's 
not Harry, not Harry, please not Harry, that's his mom. And then someone says, stand aside, you silly girl, stand aside now. That is Voldemort's voice. This is when Voldemort killed his mom and he was, he killed his dad first and then he killed his mom and then he tried to kill Harry and that didn't work, of course. But this is Voldemort telling Lily, Harry's mom to stand aside. And the reason he's even saying like, stand aside, the reason that he's not just killing her right away is because Snape, who is a Death Eater and who was on Voldemort's side at the time, who wasn't a double agent back then, well, before he was a double agent, I guess you could say, he asked Voldemort, like, oh, please spare his mother. Like, she, you know, she didn't really do anything. Like, just save her. And Voldemort was, so he didn't listen to Snape, but he was like, okay, fine. And he told Lily, stand aside. If he, if it weren't for Snape telling, asking Voldemort to spare Lily, then Voldemort would have just killed her right away. And we know that he did end up killing her, but he did give her a slight chance, I guess you could say, from Voldemort's defense, like saying, stand aside, you silly girl, stand aside now. And then he killed her. You know, he did tell her to stand aside. She didn't listen. That's her child. She's not going to just let him kill her without getting through her first. So that's the reason Voldemort told her to stand aside without just killing her right away is because Snape asked him to spare her. He didn't. He ended up killing her, but that's just a little background on why Voldemort said that because he wouldn't normally just give somebody a chance to get out of his way, you know? Okay, so back to Harry hearing this, his mom's death scene kind of play out this event. Then he hears his mom say, not Harry, please, no, take me, kill me instead. And she keeps saying, not Harry, please have mercy, have mercy, not Harry. And then he hears a shrill voice, like a shrill laugh, which is Voldemort laughing. Then the woman screams. That's the scream he was hearing was his mom's scream as she was dying. And that's it. That's like, he passes out. Um, and this whole time too, he he's hearing like this scene with his mom and Voldemort. He, he feels like a white mist filling his brain. And he's confused. He's like, why am I still flying? Like, you know, he's thinking he needs to help her needs to help this woman because she's about to be killed she's about to be murdered and then he knows he's falling he feels himself falling through the icy mist and then he faints and luckily Dumbledore's there and he saves him so yeah and he's also furious at the Dementors for being there but we'll get into that in a few minutes so he wakes up in the hospital wing he hears voices whispering but they're saying things that don't make sense. Um, he wakes up and he's just absolutely aching all over. And he's like, he feels like exhausted kind of. And so he hears voices saying, lucky the ground was so soft. I thought he was dead for sure, but he didn't even break his glasses. Like that's crazy. Someone's saying that's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And and then he remembers, he hears scariest, and he's like, yeah, that was the scariest thing. The hooded black figures, the cold that he felt, the screaming, and his eyes open, and he realizes he's in the hospital wing, and he sees the Gryffindor Quidditch team there, plus Ron and Hermione, and they all look like they had just climbed out of a swimming pool, because the rain was just that intense, and they all have mud all over them, and everyone was, like, kind of scared for Harry, right? So Fred's the first one to speak and ask how he's feeling. And so all of a sudden, Harry's memory just speeds up with him and it just hits him all really quickly. The, the lightning, the grim, how he saw the dog, 
the snitch, the dementors is all coming back to him like super fast. Like his memories, like on fast forward is how it's described. And he asked them what happened. And Fred says he fell off. It was like 50 feet. And Alicia was saying that they all thought he died. Like they were very scared. And Hermione's eyes were bloodshot. Like she was crying because she was very scared too. They were very scared for Harry right now. But Dumbledore would not let him die. He wouldn't let any student die. He would save them if they were falling off of their broom. And of course, that's what he did for Harry. But Harry's concern right now is not that they thought he was dead, like that he almost died. It's about the Quidditch match, the outcome. He asks, like, what happened? Are we doing a replay? And no one says anything. And that that's the indicator. Like, the horrible truth just hits him. He's like, no, we, we didn't lose, did we? Remember, Harry has never lost a Quidditch match. Gryffindor lost when he, Harry was unconscious in the hospital wing his first year at the end of the year. But Harry wasn't there for it. It wasn't a game that he played in. Every other game that Harry has played in for the last two years, Harry has caused ascension one. Like, this is his first loss. And he feels like it is his fault since he passed out and didn't catch ascension. He almost had it. He was chasing after. He would have for sure gotten it before Cedric. But that's what happened. And so this is a horrible, horrible feeling for Harry right now. On top of fainting in front of the whole school and that whole thing. This is a pretty low moment for him. This this stings. This this is painful for him in more ways than one. And so George starts to say what happened with the match. And he says that Cedric caught the snitch and it was just after Harry fell. So he didn't realize what had happened. He saw he saw the snitch and he went for it. He was in hot pursuit of the snitch and he wasn't worrying about those around him really he was only somewhat aware of harry maybe when harry was like on his broom on his way to the snitch but if cedric saw that harry was on his way to the snitch and he had to catch before him he's gonna just focus on the snitch he's not gonna be looking around him to harry he's gonna be zooming in like zoning in on that snitch so he didn't even realize that harry fell and so when he looked back and after he caught the snitch and looked back and saw Harry like on the ground, he tried to call it off. He kept saying he wanted a rematch. And that's another example of a Hufflepuff. Any other house probably would have been like, um, no. Any other house captain would have been like, yep, we won. I mean, there's always the exceptions. Like maybe Oliver might've been like in that situation. If it was reversed, maybe. But also Oliver is very competitive. He's a Gryffindor. Like, I don't, I don't know if he would have done what Cedric did here, where he's saying that he wanted a rematch. Because he, he's saying that isn't fair. Like, he didn't know Harry passed out. Like, come on. He's like, how? That's a rematch. That's what Cedric is doing. And that's just another example of Cedric being a really great example of a true great Hufflepuff. So that's just, I always use that's another example that's really good too. So Cedric wanted a rematch, but everyone agreed that they won fair and square pretty much. Like, even Oliver admits it that they won fair and square. And so Harry suddenly realizes that Oliver's not there. The rest of the team is, plus Ron Hermione, but Oliver is not. And Fred says he's still in the showers, and they think he's trying to drown himself, like he's just been in the shower for that long. And I, Oliver has been a terrible captain this whole chapter. This is just another example. Oliver, your seeker, your teammate almost, and you're the captain, right? So your, your teammate almost died. They just fainted in front, like they almost died fell that far off their room. They're alive because of Dumbledore right now. And you're, they're in the hospital wing. 
he woke up in the hospital wing and you're just not going to be there for your team, for your teammate as the captain, but the rest of your team is who, okay. Yeah. You guys lost, but they still might have a chance at the Quidditch or at the Quidditch cup. And okay. Like there's safety is more important than Quidditch. Not for everybody, of course, because it's a brutal game, but the safety of your teammates especially a teammate that's going to wake up in the hospital wing and you're just going to go drown your sorrows in the shower because you're upset that you guys lost in a game that you probably would have won if Harry hadn't fainted, the Dementors hadn't been there, he hadn't fainted. Harry probably would have got to the snitch before Cedric. But instead of being there for your teammate when he wakes up from the hospital wing and just kind of reassuring him that it's okay, you're going to be in the showers. Like you, no, be there for your teammate. Cedric, or sorry, not Cedric. Um, Oliver is being a terrible captain this whole chapter. Like again, with like the pep talk in the beginning that he couldn't give, like he just, everyone else was more, um, motivated and a little more peppy than him this whole chapter. And he, he's not being a good captain right now at all. This is another example. This is probably the worst instance of him being a bad captain right now is not being in the hospital wing for his teammate who almost died who's about to wake up in hospital wing you're just going to be in the shower because you're upset that you guys lost they're all upset that they lost harry's very upset because he feels like it's his fault that he fainted and didn't catch the snitch but seriously like it's a good thing harry isn't more easily offended because this would have been like a really rude this is a rude thing to do harry doesn't necessarily take it that way because he knows how oliver is like wanting to win desperately but still this is not okay at all and i'm very disappointed in oliver right now this is not okay you're being a really bad captain and also if cedric was saying that he wanted a rematch like if the other team's captain the team who won and their captain is saying no that wasn't fair like let's do a rematch like i'm totally good with the rematch Oliver, fight harder for a rematch then. Like, you don't have to just agree they won fair and square. You can fight harder for a rematch. Like, I don't know why he didn't just do that. It's like if, I don't know. That's just another example. Like, your team has another chance here where they could probably win and you could actually be happy because you just care about winning. Like, take the rematch. You know what I mean? Speak with McGonagall and Madam Hooch and Professor Sprout, since Professor Sprout is the Hufflepuff head of house, McGonagall's Grimmador head of house, you know? Have a conversation with them. Like, there's plenty of weekends in the school year where they could have a rematch. If the other team who won, their captain, is saying, let's do a rematch, just do it. Like, why are you... You just don't agree with... I don't know. He he is annoying me so much this chapter. Like, the other team's offering a rematch. You can take it. Like, wait till Harry recovers and stuff. Check on him first to make sure that he's okay. And also, like, Oliver knows that Harry has never not caught the snitch. Harry has caught the snitch in every single match. Think about how Harry's feeling, aside from the fact that he thinks, like, it's his fault and that he faints in front of the whole school, like, that whole thing's happening. Consider the fact that your very excellent seeker has never failed you once in a match. Think about how they're going to be feeling. Think about how Harry's going to be feeling. Harry's going to be feeling absolutely terrible that he didn't catch the snitch. Go check, like seriously, go check on your teammate. I cannot be even, I can't be any angrier at Oliver right now because I'm already like at my max anger with him. He is being ridiculous right now. Harry has never failed you once. And the one time he does when it's not really his fault, it's the Dementors. Go see how he's doing. Like, oh my God, I, I can't with Cedric or not Cedric with Oliver right now. He's making me so mad. So 
Harry, he's he's clearly upset. He like puts his head in his knees, like he's like looking down, he's gripping his hair, like his hands are gripping his hair. He is very upset. He he's never lost before. Harry is not feeling great. So Fred kind of shakes his shoulders, like, it's okay, Harry, you've never missed um a snitch the snitch before. George is saying that there had to be at least one time you didn't get it. Like all seekers at le- lose at at least once at some point, right? And then Fred's telling him, like, it's not over yet. They lost by 100 points. So Hufflepuff, if Hufflepuff loses to Ravenclaw, and if Gryffindor beats Ravenclaw and Slytherin, which they've always done, then, like, it's it's kind of a chance. Like, it's a slight chance, you know, which Oliver should hold on to that hope. But then the twins start saying Hufflepuff would have to lose by at least 200 points. And then... um. Fred is saying Ravenclaw is too good, but if Slytherin loses against Hufflepuff, like there's a lot of combinations that need to happen and they might work out in their favor. Like they they just need to hold on to that and that's what Oliver should be doing. And Harry the whole time is just not saying a word. He is so upset. He feels so defeated right now. The whole team is like, Harry, you're great. We're okay with it. Like we can still get the cup. Of course, minus Oliver being terrible in the showers right now. But... Harry's not. It's just a really bad, really bad feeling. It was really just out of his control too, but he doesn't see it that way. He sees himself as weak for fainting in front of the Dementors or because of the Dementors again. And for the first time, he has lost a Quidditch match and it's just the worst feeling for him right now. So after about 10 minutes or so, Madame Pomfrey comes over to the Harry's bed and tells the whole team to leave and then Fred's like, okay, well, we'll see you later. Um, we'll come visit you. And he tells him, don't beat yourself up, Harry. You're still the best seeker we've ever had. So the team really believes in him. But Harry Harry is just upset. He is not feeling good right now. So the team leaves. Ron and Hermione stay. And Hermione starts to tell him like what Dumbledore um, was feeling like. She says that he was really angry. And they've never seen him like that before. He ran onto the field as Harry fell, he waved his hand and he slowed down before he hit the ground. And so it's probably Arresto Momentum. I think that's the spell they use in the movie and it is the spell he did. It's like what slows them down before they hit the ground. It's also used by Hermione in Deathly Hollows Part 2 when they're falling and need to fall slowly and hit the ground. So next, after Dumbledore saved Harry from his death, next thing he does is he shoots his wand at the Dementors and a silvery stuff. She says silver stuff came out of it. We know this as the Patronus charm. This is the same charm that Lupin used on the Dementors in the, on the train against the Dementor. So again, I've said in that chapter to like for that episode, like I'm surprised Hermione doesn't know what this spell is. I mean, again, maybe I'm putting too much pressure on her. It is a very advanced spell, but also Hermione can do, really advanced spells for her age throughout the books there's like more than one instance where someone comments on Hermione you know how to do that spell that's like a sixth year spell or a seventh year spell or whatever like she's pretty good again Patronus Charm is like the only spell she kind of ever has trouble with but you know I maybe I'm putting too much pressure on her but again like this is her second time seeing it I'm surprised she didn't like research it some more especially after Harry's been having trouble with Dementors but anyways so she says that with this, with that spell, the silver stuff, the Dementors left the stadium right away. 
And he, Dumbledore was absolutely furious. They had come onto the grounds because they weren't supposed to do that. Absolutely furious. And the reason they probably came onto the grounds, um, they explain it later on. I think Lupin tells Harry later on. But basically, it's because all of those souls gathered in one area at the Quidditch game, like, it was too much for the Dementors to resist, to feed on. So that's probably why they were there. Really bad timing, but, you know, they did that, and Dumbledore becomes furious. And so, of course, he would be furious. Of course, he would be angry. And, of course, he would save him, you know. And Ron says that, he magicked a stretcher. So he put Harry onto a stretcher with magic. Like he just, you know, did a little spell and he conjured one up. And Ron says that, um, he walked Harry up to the school with Harry floating on the stretcher and everyone thought you were, and his voice fades. And it's like, seriously. And Harry doesn't really notice because he's still thinking about what the Dementors had done to him. But Ron, seriously. And uh, all the other students too, seriously. Dumbledore is not going to let Harry die. He wouldn't let any student die who was falling from the ground there. He would wave their wand. Dumbledore is too good. He is too good at magic to not let someone survive that. Like, come on, guys. I get it. They're kids and maybe they're, I wouldn't say like naive, but it's a little bit like, oh God, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but Seriously, Dumbledore is not going to let Harry or any other student who's falling from the sky like that. And other teachers there too. Of course, Dumbledore's there. He's got it. He's the best wizard. He can do it. But any of the other teachers too, they're, they're good at magic. Lupin's very good. McGonagall's very good. Snape's very good. Hufflepuff and Sprout, they're also very good. Any of those teachers could have saved Harry. But I think the students being children, you know, they're probably like, oh no, is Harry dead? Like they might just be thinking the worst, especially with the Dementors. That's a little bit new to them. You know, they're not feeling so great probably with the Dementors being there, even though they're targeting Harry. But still, come on, guys. He is not going to let Harry die. So as Ron and Hermione are talking about Dumbledore and the Dementors, that's what Harry is thinking about is the Dementors and how they affected him, how he fainted again when no one else did. The screaming that he heard, like that's... It was traumatic. Like, he's wondering, like, what is going on? The the dog, like, there's all this weird stuff happening. Like, why are these dementors affecting me in this way? So he kind of looks up after a bit and he sees Ron and Hermione just, like, staring at him, like, anxiously. They're kind of waiting for him to say something. And then it's just going to be another blow to Harry. It's just another L, another loss, another defeat for Harry coming up right now. And it makes me so sad for Harry. He already went through so much in this match, losing all this stuff, the Dementors, the screaming that he heard his mom die and like all this stuff, right? Now, oh, and I should mention too, I don't think I mentioned, he's hearing his mom die because that's like the worst um, like events, traumatic event memory type thing that the Dementors sense in Harry. And that's what they're feeding off of, you know? that depression type, scary, lonely, sad, sorrowful feeling, you know, and it's when his parents died. And that's why Harry is hearing the screaming, his mom dying again, because he didn't hear his dad die. He wasn't necessarily in the same room as his dad when he died. He was, James was killed right before Lily, but Harry was like in his room in the crib and his mom was there in front of the crib when, so Harry was in the room physically when his mom was killed. So that's why he's hearing that. That's what the Dementors are really loving and feeding on. So Harry asks Ron Hermione, 
Oh my gosh, I'm so sad for Harry. But he asks Ron Hermione, did someone get my Nimbus? Remember his broomstick? Because he fell off of it and he was falling through the sky. So, you know, he's like, oh, it's just on the field. Did somebody get it? Ron and Hermione look at each other and like very quickly, just like a glance at each other. And so Harry's like, uh, what? He looks from one to the other. Like, what do you, what? Like, that's, what's going on? So Hermione says, well, when you fell off, it got blown away. And Harry's like, okay. And, and she says, and she struggles to say this. Like she says, and it hit, it hit, oh, Harry, it hit the Whomping Willow. And right away, Harry's insides lurch. The Whomping Willow is a very violent and vicious tree that stands alone, like around no other trees in the middle of the grounds. So Whomping Willow is the tree from last year in the second book when Harry and Ron flew the car to school and it got it ended up in a tree and the tree almost killed them. It's a very violent tree. So it, it the tree, like the branches sway and the leaves and every, it's very violent. And um, it's so dangerous. This tree, I talked about a little bit last year because, you know, like that's how I do on this podcast with the Whomping Willow, like the connections and stuff. So the Whomping Willow was planted all because of Mr. Remus Lupin. Dumbledore basically, when Lupin was the Hogwarts age, like 11, 10 or 11, when he was about to go into Hogwarts, Dumbledore went to go visit his parents, Lupin's parents at his house and told him we have a place for him at Hogwarts because Dumbledore knew that Lupin was a werewolf. I think he got bitten when he was five. So he's been a werewolf for all of his life. Like that's all he can remember basically is being a werewolf. And so his parents weren't sure that Lupin would even be able to go to Hogwarts because of his condition, because he was werewolf, because it's so dangerous. So Dumbledore said, I have a solution. I am going to plant the Whomping Willow, the tree at the ground here. And when it's time for him to do his transformations, Remus will be able to go into the Whomping Willow. And that's what leads to the Shrieking Shack into town. So the Shrieking Shack is one of the things in Hogsmeade that the students like to visit. It's said to be the most haunting place in Britain. And I did mention a few episodes ago that in the Shrieking Shack, the people of Hogsmeade say that it's haunted because when Lupin was doing his werewolf transformations, his howling and that painful transformation, everything, since he wasn't able to leave there and go bite other people, he had to bite himself. Like he had to do something. So that pain and those screams and those howls, that's why they think it's haunted because Lupin was in the Shrieking Shack there. And the Whomping Willow at the trunk, at the base of the trunk, there's a way to open it so that you can go in there and go do your transformation. And the Whomping Willows were a big, or the Shrieking Shack, but you go in the Whomping Willow later in this book and a big showdown happens. It's very exciting, but it is very dangerous. Like people at Hogwarts used to like dare each other to go near it and like do a certain thing there or whatever, like get a rock near the trunk or something weird and people would get very hurt like people almost lost their eyes and stuff it's a very dangerous and violent tree so if humans have trouble going there and almost dying you think a broomstick stands a chance no no magical broomstick will stand a chance when the wind blows it into the whomping willow once it gets a hold of that it is just with the wind swaying everywhere no that broomstick did not stand a chance so you know, Harry, so Hermione says, Harry hit the Whomping Willow, his insides lurch, like his stomach just drops. And he, he's like, okay. And like, Harry, you already know. But he asks, and even though he's draining the answer and Ron says, Harry, you know, the Whomping Willow, it, it doesn't like being hit. 
And so Hermione, you know, they know Harry's had a rough day and it's just they're making it worse by telling him about his broomstick, his Nimbus 2000. And Hermione, in a very small voice, she tells Harry that Professor Flitwick brought it back into the hospital wing like just before Harry woke up. And so she reaches for a bag on the ground and she flips it upside down and it's a dozen bits of splintered wood and twig onto the bed. And it's the only remains of Harry's faithful, finally beaten broomstick. So this broom has served Harry very, very well throughout the years. And this is just like the cherry on top of a terrible day. Like it, oh gosh, it is so bad. This Harry, the Dementors, the, seeing the Grim again, losing for the first time feeling like it's his fault his broomstick now out of this whole day he still doesn't have a broom like no it's it's so rough nimbus 2000 is great it is such a great broom and the only one who has like a newer version is the slytherin team because lucius malfoy bought the whole team nimbus 2001s because draco was on the team little bribery i'd say but Harry's Nimbus 2000 was great. It was the best broom on the Gryffindor team. And like, this is just rough. This is a really rough moment for him. He's about to get an even better broom this year for Christmas. Firebolt. It's going to be great. So that's exciting. But still, this is a really low blow. But basically, like this last sentence, the only remains of Harry's faithful finally beaten broomstick Harry always loved, loved having Quidditch. That was one of the things he looked forward to the most. Going back to Hogwarts was playing Quidditch and flying on that broomstick. He loves flying so much. And the last two summers when he was miserable at the Dursley's house, he would just think of flying. Be like, okay, when I'm back at Hogwarts, counting down the days, I'm going to be back on my broom and flying. Because he loved Quidditch and he loved his broom. His Nimbus 2000 was very very great broom. So this is a low blow. This is hard. This is a bad day for Harry. It's, it's just worth, it's just, he's, it's beyond repair. You know, there are repairing spells for certain things in a wizarding world, but this broomstick is beyond repair. And he doesn't know he's about to get an even better one, but it's, it's rough. This is hard. And, you know, I, I just feel so bad for Harry right now. They're, the whole team is sad. It's a big devastating blow. On top of them losing that game, their seeker who's really great and who, you know, things happened to him outside of his control tonight. Aside for, Or not tonight, it was like in the morning that the game was played. But aside from that, like his really super cool broom is now destroyed beyond repair. So it's, I don't know. It's, it is devastating. And Firebolt is coming though, Harry. So don't worry, you're going to have a few weeks of playing on a school broom. That's not really great. Or a few months actually, but still, Firebolt is coming. So brighter days are ahead, Harry, sort of. At least the Firebolt is a positive coming up for him. So that was the chapter. There was a lot going on there. Very great chapter. Some of the most iconic, some of my favorite lines, like turn to page 294, the way Snape says that Alan Rigman's delivery in the movie is just perfect. And you know, you already know I talked about my complaints with that scene, but there are some things that were done very well with it. So, and Harry, you're okay. Like, don't worry. But 
you're, you're going to win more Quidditch matches, but this is a rough, this is a low blow for him. And that Nimbus is just, it just does not help. That is just the worst part. And the, the Grim, he saw the Grim. That's not good. Like he's, he's getting worried now. And, and Snape just continues to be the nastiest they've ever seen him. The meanest they've ever seen him. Hagrid is going through it because of the whole Malfoy situation. Like there's some stuff going on. And, you know, Harry just needs to take it easy for a few days. Oh, yeah, Sirius Black was spotted in the castle. Like, there's so many things. There's there's a lot going on. But that was a fun chapter. Lots to discuss. Okay, so for next week's episode, I'm going to be discussing chapter 10, which is the Marauder's Map, another really fun one. Like, I'm telling you, I love Prisoner of Azkaban, and these chapters are just so good. This book is so good. So I'm so excited to continue this this chapter Today, Chapter 9, Grim Defeat, really set us up for a lot of cool things coming on. Like, yeah, Harry's Nimbus is gone, but he's going to get the Firebolt. And there's just a lot of things um, coming up that this chapter set us up for. And I just realized how punny the chapter title is, Grim Defeat. Because Harry was defeated in more ways than one in this chapter. And he saw the Grim and Grim Defeat. It's a play on words. So I thought that was cool. I just realized that. But make sure you read chapter 10. That's the Marauder's Map for next week's episode. And you can email me at the Airs of Slytherin podcast at gmail.com. Twitter is at Slytherin pod. Facebook page is the Airs of Slytherin podcast. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, and Pocket Casts. And for next week's episode, make sure you read chapter 10 of Harry Potter and a Prisoner of Azkaban, the Marauder's Map. Thank you for listening to The Heiress of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Ella, your host.